again for yet another episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Thank you for continuing to tune in. As promised, last week at the end of the episode, I said I'm not going to make this episode about anything from a political or serious perspective, and I'm holding true to that. I know that there's been a little more political discussion about things in the past couple episodes than I typically care to have, and then of course there was the episode about Noah and fairy tales and things which could push some buttons from a religious perspective, which is also, you know, kind of along the lines of politics and conversation that you're not supposed to have. So rest assured, this will be a more lighthearted conversation. Well, not really a conversation because no one's talking back to me, but this will be a more lighthearted topic. So really quick before we dive into this week's topic, I do want to mention that last week was absolutely exhausting. At the school that I work at, the music school, we have camps every other week during the summer, in addition to our normal lesson and rehearsal schedules. And last week I logged, I want to say 56 hours at the school in addition to working DoorDash on Friday and Sunday and in addition to going and performing at a 4th of July party for some friends on Saturday night, July 2nd. Oh yeah, in addition to recording and editing the last episode of the podcast. There is another camp week next week, so I may actually try and record two episodes of the podcast this week just to kind of get a slight step ahead because I know next week, gonna be tiring. I also do want to quickly acknowledge that Friday, this last Friday, which I guess will be a little over a week at the time that this episode comes out, but July 1st was the two-year anniversary of the passing of one of the best friends I've ever had, a bassist in multiple bands that I've been in in my life, Mr. Nick Rodolfo. So this is just a quick, you know, in memory of, I wanted to give a nod. It, it made for a difficult day on Friday. It made for a pretty much difficult weekend, um, but definitely been thinking about him a lot and just wanted to mention that. So as I mentioned, I did play um, at a friend of mine's house on July 2nd, so over 4th of July weekend, and honestly, because of the 11-hour days that I was putting in every day at the school and a lot of loud talking over little kids and rehearsals where the music's really loud, and I'm trying to direct rehearsals, I actually, the day before the party, so Friday, July 1st, I was pretty much had decided, you know what, I'm just going to go to the party and see my friends. I'm not actually going to take my equipment because my My voice was shot. But by Saturday morning when I woke up to go to the school and needed to make a decision, a final decision to load my van with equipment, it was feeling a little better. And I thought maybe if I just take it easy at the school today, you know, it's not like I was doing three hours at the party. I ended up doing, I want to say like 90 minutes, maybe closer to two hours. But for me, that's kind of a shorter set. I thought, you know what, I'll just pick and choose. Maybe I'm not going to pick, you know, songs like that are sung really high, which I ended up doing those anyway. So luckily I was able to pull that off without you know, my voice cracking too much. I will say that at the time of going to that party, I had already long since recorded the episode, the America the Pitiful uh, episode, the last episode, the 4th of July special, where if you listen to that, I discuss stupid fireworks fatalities and accidents that I found, you know, from some government agency that reports on that. And I was very much 
much reminded of that stupidity at this party. So during the actual, so this was after I was done playing and during the fireworks display they were putting on, because this is a house that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere for the most part. It's in a neighborhood, but their backyard butts up to a big open field. So they were setting off a big fireworks display out in that field. And as the display went on, you could start to notice that some of them were just kind of shooting up not that high. And it was like, I don't think that's detonating the way that it's supposed to. It's not launching into the sky. In fact, one of the large mortar style explosions actually went off on the ground. You just saw all the different colored, you know, explosions and the blast go off on the ground. It's like, that's not good. As far as I know, none of the people putting off the fireworks were injured in the process, but it was a little scary, especially given the fact that I had just done the episode and discussed all of my research about how many people are stupid and make mistakes when they're drunk and setting off fireworks around the 4th of July. But of course, you know, that was things outside of their control, I'm guessing, something, you know, there was a malfunction here or there, and like I said, no one was hurt. However, after the fireworks were over, they then lit a very large bonfire right where, you know, the main mass of the party was, right in the middle. And as soon as that bonfire got going, you heard this big explosion and all of these multicolored flaming lights shooting off because they had begun, not they, some, one or two of the people. Idiots. Yes, uh, but they had started to throw some of the leftover fireworks directly into the bonfire, which were now exploding with everyone gathered around. Well, the first one went off, and I just heard this lady yell, The baby! And she went running over because her young child, probably one, two years old, was laying asleep in like a lawn chair, which was, I don't know, maybe six, seven feet from where the bonfire was. Probably wasn't the safest spot for that baby to be sleeping just because of the bonfire fire, but of course, now that the fireworks are going off, now it's really unsafe. And it was pretty much at that point that I'm like, I think it's time for me to go home now. I will tell you that my cat Cessna, aka Goobs, Gooby McGee, Fatty Patty, Butt Butts, Toot Toots, she has a slew of nicknames, but she was not pleased when she would be laying in the room with me while I was editing and producing the last episode, because if you heard it, you'll know that multiple times through the episode, I had a sound effect I used that were like these whistling, crackling fireworks going off, and every time those would go off, it would totally freak her out. It also didn't help that in my neighborhood, and I also live very much on the outskirts and I guess kind of a rural hillbillyish area, but for every night starting probably Thursday, June 30th, up until last night, July 4th, people were randomly setting off fireworks in my neighborhood until as late as 2 a.m. every single night, and they were going off pretty close to my house, so that would freak Cessna out. So I was just rubbing salt in the wound by having to make make her listen to that in the editing process of the podcast. Before getting to the actual topic of this episode, I do want to give one quick update. I know that I recently mentioned that I'm working on my fiction novel, and it is coming along very well. Yay! Now, I lost a little progress
podcast last week because of the camp and my crazy work schedule and just being absolutely drained and exhausted and still having to make sure that the podcast was the priority as far as my free time went. But right now, I would say that I'm maybe at like the 60 to 65% mark of the novel being absolutely completed. Well, again, that's going and doing the, the editing after the proofreading and all that after the fact. But from a writing perspective, I'm really making headway. And one thing, you know, I haven't written like a full fiction novel in about 20 years. And while this novel is a little different in regard to the fact that I know how it's going to end, and I pretty much have since I came up with the original concept, there's just a lot of stuff that happens that just happens that I don't know, I didn't plan on. And as you're writing it, it's almost like having an out-of-body experience where you're like, oh, oh, wow. Oh, no. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's awful. Like you're actually experiencing the story being told, even though it's coming from your own brain, it's just happening so quickly and your fingers are flying to try and keep up with your thought process. And that's something that I just really dig about writing. And, you know, hopefully I'm going to get through this. I'm going to publish this and I'm going to start making this kind of a regular thing, assuming, you know, I've got plenty of ideas for books. It's a matter of getting them, you know, to actually develop beyond just a synopsis in my brain into a full written book. But speaking of a synopsis, I have already written a very well done, concise summary of this novel, which I'll say the novel that I wrote 20 years ago, I was never really able to write a summary like you would see on like a book jacket, just a quick description about what the book is about because it was just so in depth and people would ask me, what's your book about? And I'm like, it's kind of hard to say. And then 20 minutes later, you finished your synopsis and it's no longer a synopsis. It's a book report. I will tell you that as I near completion of of getting the book close to publishing, I will share with you that synopsis on the podcast to get you all excited to hopefully go and buy my book. But I'm not going to do it right now, mainly because I'm paranoid that some asshole out there is going to hear it and furiously try to create a book based on the synopsis and beat me to the punch. And then it looks like I'm the one, you know, who was copyright infringing. But at the pace that I'm moving, I expect that in a matter of weeks, I will be in the editing process and I will be able to share that summary with you. So look forward to it. Yay! All right. So on to our topic, close calls. So I had this idea for an episode of the podcast a couple weeks ago. I was playing a gig. It was not one that was scheduled, but someone had canceled and they called and asked, could I fill in? And I'm like, sure, I'm free. And it was good money. And I was about two hours into my three hours set and I'm sitting at the piano playing a song. And I have one of those moments where you have that just sharp pain in the core of your stomach and you know I need to shit right now. But I was in the middle of a song and, you know, like I said, I still had an hour left to perform. I don't usually take breaks or if I do, they're very short. And about 20 minutes prior, I had taken a quick little pee break. I mean, just enough to run to the men's room and run back to the stage. So if now 20 minutes later, I told them I need to go to the bathroom again, it would have looked weird because they knew I had just peed. And the fact that my pee would have taken 10 plus minutes, it would have just drawn attention. So I'm doing everything I can to just stifle this in my stomach. And I mean, now I'm still working on this song on piano. I am sweating profusely. It is pouring down. It's one of those types of shits that your body is just in full alarm mode. 
and I was pretty much afraid to like belt out any high notes because I'm like, oh no, I might sing a high note out of my mouth, but it might cause me to harmonize a low note out of my butthole. That was a wet harmony. So somehow I managed to get through the final hour. It kind of subsided and settled, and then I got up from the piano and finished my set on my guitar, and there were a few moments where I could feel that pain creeping back in, and I'm thinking, all right, if I can just make it through the hour, if I have to, I'll go in the men's room and I'll shit before I tear down and drive home. And I had about a 30-minute drive home. But I am not a fan of using public restrooms, especially for shitting. I don't even like using a restroom in a place of employment, let alone in a bar for a dookie. So I completed my set, and at that point, you know, I wasn't having any urgent shit pains. So I tore down my stuff as fast as possible. I loaded up, got in my van, and started the drive home. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a very rural drive home. There's not really a whole lot of anything, any place to stop. So if I was going to have to shit between the bar and the house, it was going to be just, you know, in the weeds on the side of a highway. Luckily, because these are rural highways, there's not really much in the way of streetlights, so I would have been shadowed, but it's not my ideal way to release the demon. And for the most part, while I did feel the occasional churning in my stomach on the drive home, I made it home, but I think it was like my body knew as soon as I made it home, I'm close to the toilet, and boy, did I feel that kick in fast. I fled from the van, rushed into the house, rushed upstairs to my master bedroom, bathroom, and it was one of those situations where as I had just lowered my pants and was beginning to lower my ass to the seat, it was already game on. So that was a close call. And I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than really needing to pee or poop really bad and knowing you're nowhere close to a restroom. And at least at the bar, like where I was on the stage, I was feet from the men's room. I could see the men's room. Maybe that made it worse because it was like salvation was right there, but I was avoiding it purposefully. But like when you're on a road trip and you start to feel like I kind of need to pee and you pass an exit that's got restaurants or a rest stop and you're like, yeah, I can make it to the next one, but you're in like a very backwoods, off-beaten path type of area, like driving to my mom's, I spend a lot of time in West Virginia, in Virginia, where you can go 15, 20 minutes before there is another option. And all of a sudden, that little bit of pee that you had when you were like, I can hold it, that builds up immensely over the next 15, 20 minutes. And before you know it, that's all you can think about. You're unstrapping your seatbelt because any extra pressure on the stomach or the bladder is just unbearable. I will say that I recently found out that, I guess it was actually a few years ago that it happened, but I only recently discovered that in New York, probably primarily New York City because of the lack of public restrooms versus the crazy population of people there, they actually decriminalized public urination. Now, I'm sure that they still want it done discreetly, like they just don't want your dick whipped out and facing uh, passerbys in Times Square, pissing on people's shoes as they're walking by. And for the most part, I don't really have an issue with public urination, especially if you're able to do it in a place that's kind of absorbent, like the grass or a mulch.
mulch bed or something, you know, pissing on the side of a building or a sidewalk, that's not necessarily the best idea because now you have to wait for the next rain to come to rinse that away. But there have been multiple instances in my life where I have had to pee so bad that by the time I got to the toilet, like there's just like this again, like when I got home from my gig and all of a sudden my stomach said, oh, I know there's a toilet nearby. Let's take it up a notch. It's like when you get in front of the toilet and you're fumbling to unbuckle your pants and unzip and push everything down in order to pee, like your body wants to start releasing now. It doesn't necessarily want to wait when you're in that emergency type of situation. And I'll be honest, there's been a handful of occasions in my life where maybe a little pee started to come out in my boxer briefs before I could push them down all the way because during the unbuttoning and unzipping process, my bladder said, I think it's okay. I remember one time as a kid, I woke up in the morning and I had to pee real bad. And we basically all shared one restroom in this house. And my mom was at the sink in the bathroom getting ready for work. And again, I was just a little kid and I ran into the bathroom as fast as I could, lifted the seat, pushed down my pajama bottoms. And before I could get a handle on my little dinky... The pee just started to flow in a gushing fire hose, just wild manner where it was just spraying everywhere. My mom was not pleased as she was halfway through the process of getting ready for work as I am splattering the entire restroom with piss, perhaps splattering her. But that was a close call. Another close call that I remember from a shitting perspective would be I was either in 7th or 8th grade. I don't remember the exact grade. I just remember the school building that I was in, so it had to have been one of those grades. But I was just sitting in class and had one of those just sudden painful churning moments in my stomach where it's like, oh no, I'm gonna shit. And I immediately raised my hand, asked for a hall pass, just running to the restroom. The boys' room of the school, at least the one that I went into, to only had one stall in it. And I rush into the stall, close the door, and look and see that the toilet water is, com- like someone has plugged up the toilet with just a ton of toilet paper, and the water is right up to the surface level of the toilet. Even worse, they had broken off the roll of toilet paper and just thrown it in the top of the toilet, so it's like half submerged, and like one edge of the toilet paper is still dry and kind of sitting up above the toilet water like an iceberg that's ready to sink the Titanic. But But there was no waiting. I had no choice. I unbuttoned my pants, pushed them down, hovered over the toilet because I couldn't sit on it because the toilet paper roll was actually so far emerged from the surface of the water that it was higher than the seat itself. And I remember just spattering this mustard-colored diarrhea all over the dry surface area of the iceberg of toilet paper. Now, because the toilet paper had been broken off and thrown into the toilet, that's right, I had nothing to wipe with. So, I mean, I did my best to shake my ass dry, and of course this was a bathroom where we had the, you know, blower hand dryers. There was no paper towels that I could go get. So I had no choice but to go straight to the office after that diarrhea emergency, that close call. And speaking of calls, I called my mom and said, I'm not feeling well, I need to come home, which was actually just me saying, I desperately need to wipe my ass. 
But yes, that was a close call. So that's all the close calls we're going to discuss from a shitting or pissing perspective. Yay! You're welcome. One significant close call I had was a lawnmower accident where the house that I had, the backyard, was kind of a flat surface from the back of the house for, I don't know, maybe 10 yards. And then it would slope up at approximately a 45 degree angle for maybe another 10 yards and then flatten out to a larger area of the yard. I was out mowing the grass and I had kind of, from the lower flat surface, pushed up to the top of that slope, turned the lawnmower down, and had started pushing the lawnmower down toward the flat surface. And I think maybe it had rained the day before, so the grass might have been a little slick, but as I got near the bottom of that slope, my foot slipped out from under me. And I can see it in my mind still to this day in slow motion, so my body is sliding under the lawnmower because as I'm sliding down, my arms are kind of going up, lifting the lawnmower, allowing my leg, or my foot rather, to go under the lawnmower. And then when I hit my ass on the ground, it dropped the lawnmower back down on top of my foot before I let go of the bar, which was propelling the blade. It all happened very fast, but like I said, I can kind of see it happening in slow motion in my memories. And I remember as soon as the lawnmower stopped, I mean, my whole right leg was numb from the immediate vibration of being hit with the fast spinning metal blade of the lawnmower, I was afraid to look at my foot. But eventually, I pulled my foot out from under the lawnmower, which was now inactive, and could see that the entire toe of my shoe, like the fabric or leather or whatever it was, that shoe that I was mowing the grass in, the entire toe area was gone. I could see my socked foot clearly exposed. Later the next day, I would actually find the bow of my shoelace laying in the grass, still tied in a bow because it had been cut so close to the shoe that it cut it beneath where it had been tied. So now I'm sitting there looking at my white socked foot fully exposed through the toe of my shoe that's no longer there. And you know how sometimes when you cut yourself, it takes a second to bleed and then all of a sudden it really starts to bleed. So I'm just sitting here for a couple seconds just expecting to see all of a sudden this rush of red fill the white sock. That never happened. Luckily, don't ask me how, while eliminating the toe of my shoe and cutting the bow of my lace all the way beneath where it had been tied, the blade itself had only just grazed my big toe. When I took my sock off, part of my toenail had been shaved just a little bit down to where blood was coming to the surface, but it wasn't bleeding. So I got real lucky. I will tell you that I went out the next day and I bought soccer cleats to start mowing my lawn in because I'm like, that shit ain't happening again. That was a close call. Another instance I can remember, I was a kid, probably, I don't know, I was still living in Cincinnati, so I had to have been 12 or younger, but I don't remember being that young, so maybe, I don't know, like 10, 11 years old, and me and a group of my friends, we were just riding our bikes around through a neighborhood, and just being kids, just, you know, trying to go as fast as you could, and we were coming up on this turn onto another street in the neighborhood, and I was leading the pack of the kids, because I don't know if we were all trying to race each other or whatnot, but I was just going as fast as I possibly could on my bike and I turned the corner only to see a car coming right at me toward the stop sign but with my momentum I mean there wasn't much I could do so I just kind of slammed on my brakes I ended up laying my bike down on its side so my knee is now dragging against the asphalt and I'm sliding underneath the front end of the car I remember my bike coming to a stop like an inch in front of the tire of the car I'm sure they had slammed their brakes on it 
as well at the last second, seeing me coming like a bat out of hell. But that could have ended very poorly for yours truly. And of course, you know, as soon as the incident was over, I immediately popped up on my bike and just took off like a little asshole. I'm sure I scared the shit out of the adult that was driving that car. But to this day, I do still remember that. Another childhood close call. I remember one time I was in a fight with my brother. So we were, you know, what you would call latchkey kids. So we would go home after school. Our parents both worked so they wouldn't get home until maybe six o'clock in the evening. So there were several hours every single day for us to just be two brothers that would fight. And my brother was almost three years older than me. So usually it was a bunch of name calling and then I would run from him and he would chase me. It was never really like a fist fight kind of thing, but there was still a lot of, I guess, what you would call dominance being exerted by my brother, physical dominance where he would pin me down. But in this instance, I remember calling him a name. He started chasing me. I ran up the stairs into my bedroom as fast as I could. My bedroom at the time had bunk beds and I jumped on my bottom bunk and kind of put my knees and feet up in this kangaroo defensive kicking position. That was kind of my defense. And he kind of lunged on top of me on the bottom bunk and I pushed up with my knees to try and keep him away from me and his back scratched up against the springs on the underside of the bed of the top bunk, which hurt him and he was not happy with. And he jumped off of me and grabbed the first thing that he saw in my room, which was a matchbox car sitting on my dresser. And my brother was a very good pitcher in baseball. And he won that thing at me as hard as he could. And I remember feeling a little breeze from it as it narrowly passed by my right temple and buried itself into the drywall. So had that just been an inch or two to the right, uh, you know, I might not have an eyeball right now. So that was a close call. As I'm recording this right now, we have a lot of thunderstorms in the area, and actually I'm a little remiss of the fact that I'm inside recording this episode because as I was driving home from the school, there is a very cool lightning storm happening just north of me. I'm not in the storm right now. It's one that's passing about, I don't know, 20 miles north of me. But, I mean, we're talking lightning strikes every second. The drive, like, I don't even know how I didn't get in a wreck on the drive home because all I was doing was staring up into the sky watching this lightning show. But... But I'm a big fan of thunderstorms. I love thunderstorms. I'm the kind of idiot that might try and chase a tornado. Well, not chase it, but at least drive somewhere to where I could see one. I've never seen a tornado in real life. I would like to. And you know what? Worst comes to worst, I get picked up by the tornado and killed. Well, hey, that's a pretty cool way to go. It's a lot better than, you know, dying of a heart attack while you're jerking off on your lazy boy. But I have had two very close calls with lightning. So the first one would have been... Oh, probably 20 years ago, maybe a little less. And I was in my car. I was coming back from picking up food on my lunch break and driving back to my workplace to eat my lunch. And there was a huge storm going on overhead. I mean, the type of storm where there was like maybe one second between the lightning and the thunder. So you knew you were in the heart of it. And I'm sitting at this red light in an area of Columbus, Ohio called Grandview. And I just heard this enormous enormous crack of thunder at the same time seeing this just crazy white flash of light like it bleached everything out and my car instantly died I was able to start it back up but I I don't know I mean it is possible that my car was struck by lightning and the rubber on the tires as we know will absorb the electricity and keep you 
from actually dying. That's why they say being in your car during an electrical storm is one of the safest places to be. But if it didn't actually strike my car, it was sure as shit close enough that it shut my car down. So that was pretty freaky. I remember getting back to work and I was shaking like a leaf. And then the second close call I had with lightning was not that long ago. This was maybe a few years ago. And there was a big thunderstorm coming through, lots of lightning. And because I love lightning and I love thunderstorms, I went out and sat on my covered front porch. Now it's not enclosed, it's just covered. And I had my iPad and I was just playing some games and would occasionally look up and watch the lightning. And the storm was getting bigger and stronger and closer. And I didn't know that my son was up in his bedroom looking out the back window. So again, I'm in the front porch. He's looking out his back window watching the storm because we have nothing but a field behind us and there's no street lights or anything. So it's a really optimal way to watch a lightning storm. And I'm sitting there playing and I hear this just incredible crack of thunder. Once again, an incredible white flash of light. And I mean, I could feel it like just vibrating through my body. My hairs were on end. I mean, it scared the shit out of me. I immediately got up and rushed into the house. It freaked me out that much. And then Skylar came running down all excited because he had just watched a bolt of lightning strike our backyard. So I was, uh, you know, pretty close to getting struck by that bolt of lightning. Now, you would think that, well, you've had enough close calls, Jeff. Certainly you're avoiding lightning. No, I'll take my chances. Again, if I'm going to go, I mean, I'm going to die someday. Might as well die in cool fashion. Getting struck by lightning, getting picked up by a tornado, that is pretty cool. So another area of close calls that I'm sure many of us have experienced would be close calls of like almost getting into an accident in your car. I actually had a very close call not that long ago, a couple months ago. It was a Saturday. I was at the school and I had a quick little 30 minute break between lessons. So I'm like, I'm going to go run and get some fast food really quick. So where I needed to turn left to get into the complex where all the fast food was, the light turned green. And for some reason, in my mind, I was thinking green arrow. So I just started to turn left. And clearly there was a two lane road on the other side. There was a long line of traffic in the immediate lane closest to the center line and they probably saw me just jumping the gun and going left and they didn't really move forward but the traffic on the other side did not see me coming because they were moving more freely and this car had to slam on its brakes I slammed on my brakes we got real close to each other it was my fault I felt like a total idiot and all I could think of for the rest of that lunch was oh my god I almost just got in a major accident over a fucking double beef and cheddar from Arby's now to be fair I'm a big fan of the beef and cheddar, especially with a little squirt of the horsey sauce on it. But not necessarily worth, you know, having my van totaled when I need to be back at the school in 25 minutes. The first accident I ever got into was only a few weeks after I'd gotten my license. I had a car that my parents had bought for me. And I will call this a close call, even though I really messed up the car and technically had an accident. But what was happening is I had a few of my friends in my car and I was driving them home after school. And on this road, it basically did a sharp turn to the left, like a 45 degree angle curve, and then a sharp curve to the right almost immediately after. At the time, I was not 
not aware that, you know, like leaves on the ground and having recently rained was going to eliminate a lot of the traction of my vehicle. And I was kind of doing some Dale Earnhardt Jr. like accelerating out of the turns and I made it through the first turn, the left one, no problem. Then going into the right turn, my car said, yeah, I don't think I'm going to turn as much this time. And my car slid across the road. I went kind of angled sideways on the, the shoulder of the road on the opposite side, slammed the front left panel of my car into a sign that I couldn't read because it was facing the other way because I was now on the wrong side of the road down in the shoulder, dragged the post of this sign along the side of my car, ripped my side mirror off, managed to then drive my car back up onto the street and slam on my brakes face to face with a school bus. I would later discover, ironically enough, that the sign that completely ripped down the side of my car as I drove through this steep shoulder was a sign that said, low shoulder. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? A little too ironic. And yeah, I really do think. It's like radio! Fortunately, I couldn't read it because I was on the wrong side of the road facing the other way. But in the scheme of things, I mean, I could have driven head on into the post of that sign. I could have hit the school bus. So when all was said and done, that was kind of a close call, despite still being an accident. The fact that my parents didn't murder me when they got home and saw my car, my brand new car, only a few weeks after having my license, also a close call. The last one I will discuss from an automobile perspective, I'm sure I've had way more close calls but these were just the ones that came to mind. But many years ago, my dad went into the hospital for a routine procedure to have some stents put in his heart to help with his blockages that he had. But when he got there before the procedure, they did a scan and realized, oh wait, your main artery that we need to put a stent in is so blocked that you're maybe 24 to 48 hours away from having a massive coronary or what they would call the widow maker, which pretty much will just kill you. He was like, over 90% blocked in that artery. So they realized we can't just do stents. We need to go in immediately and we need to have an emergency triple bypass on your heart. So he ended up being in the hospital for several days. Now, at the end of his hospital visit, I was going to drive him home from the hospital and he had a shit ton of prescriptions that he needed to pick up. So we stopped at like a giant eagle or something to go and get the prescriptions before I drove him home. Now, as we're leaving the giant eagle, there's like a pickup truck in front of me that's waiting to turn onto the main road and I'm just waiting for that truck to turn and that truck starts to go so I look to the left to see if traffic's coming so that I know can I go or do I need to wait well apparently that truck decided I'm going to change my mind I'm not going to turn yet well at this point I'm now easing forward very slowly but easing forward and looking to my left and I hear crunch and essentially I did no damage to the truck we didn't exchange information or anything but they had like a tow hitch sticking out of the back of their truck and the front bumper of my van at the time kind of punctured itself around. Now the front bumper of my van was completely splintered and had a big hole in it, but they were, you know, the truck that they were driving was an older truck. There was no damage to their bumper and they were like, yeah, it's fine. But not only was that a close call to not being in a more severe accident, but that was a close call that I didn't cause my dad to have a heart attack a matter of minutes after he had just left the hospital from a 
triple bypass. Double close call. So while I'm not going to give any specific examples, I want to say that we've all had that feeling of relief, that feeling of close call when it comes to cops. Like when you're driving down the street or the freeway and all of a sudden you see a cop and you look down and you're like, oh no, I'm going way too fast. And you do your best to slam on your brakes or slow down. And then you drive past the cop and the cop drives out onto the road and starts to be behind you. And it's like, I am screwed. And then you're driving, you're driving, you're just waiting. Why aren't the lights on? And then eventually the cop turns or takes an exit and you're like, that was a close call. There is a sense of relief there that is almost euphoric for a brief period of time. You know, there are also people who make a living just based on making close calls like the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds, the fighter pilots from the Air Force and the Navy, that their whole job is to fly toward each other at amazing rates of speed and at the last second bank their planes and narrowly miss each other. While people below them laugh, giggle, and applaud at how cool that was, that's just fucking crazy. The fact that there are not more accidents as close as they get, I mean, I guess that just goes to show the precision and the skill that they have, but man, crazy. Wouldn't do that almost to the point where I'm not even sure I ever want to watch something like that again. Freaks me out. Also, let's not forget about people like magicians' assistants, you know, the ones that stand up against a wall. Well, I guess those wouldn't be magicians, maybe, I don't know, but, and someone throws knives or axes at them and hits them right around their head or their body, or, you know, like where you put the apple on your head and someone shoots it off with a bow an arrow. Anyone who has ever agreed to do that, you're a moron. I assure you that the pay that you're getting to do that is not enough. I will tell you that that whole act of doing stuff like that was started in roughly the late 1800s for like circuses. And just so you know, the name of that art is called impalement arts. That just doesn't sound, you know, good. You know, maybe call it almost impalement arts. I would not sign up to be a part of impalement arts. So before I get to my last subject related to close calls, I do want to point out some of the modern euphemisms or idioms related to close calls. So, you know, we've all heard I dodged a bullet on that one and obviously dodging a bullet that's pretty much impossible, but it's just a figure of speech that means damn, that was close. You also have the term a near miss, which I'm not a big fan of this term. It's kind of the opposite of dodging a bullet as a near miss basically means a hit. That's why I'm not a fan of the term, because it just means hit, not near miss. It's not really a close call, you just got hit. If you are on the wheel of doom and someone is throwing axes at you and the axe chops off your ear, that's not a near miss. I'm pretty sure that's not the way you're going to identify it as they're dragging you screaming to the hospital. Another one would be the old term, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. If you've never heard this term before, essentially what it means is like in the game of horseshoes, if there's no ringers or leaners, so that means someone got their horseshoe around the steel post that you're throwing at, or you're touching the post, essentially the horseshoe closest to the post gets a point. So at that point, close does count. Obviously with hand grenades, yeah, close counts. You know, if you don't actually get the hand grenade exactly where you want it to go, 
it's probably still gonna do some damage to the general vicinity. So that's where that term comes from. I would say that the horseshoes reference also would apply to jarts, the popular 80s backyard game where people would essentially throw gigantic steel-tipped lawn darts at each other. That sounds smart. But just like horseshoes, the game of jarts, if no one lands inside the circle to score, the jart closest to the circle scores. So let's modify this saying now. Close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and jarts. <laughs> All right, so the last thing I will discuss, this is a biggie, in regard to close calls, nuclear close calls. So times that the world has almost gone to full-on nuclear war, a lot of times, you know, we didn't know about it. Most times, we didn't know about it. We're only finding out about it years later after the fact. But talk about a close call. But the term nuclear close call is an actual term, and it basically means that there were a set of circumstances that could have resulted in an unintended nuclear explosion or a misinformed pressing of the finger quotes red button. Since the creation or invention or implementation of atomic or nuclear weapons in our history that we know of, there have been 22 nuclear close calls. That's a lot. Let's discuss a few of them, shall we? So on January 24th, 1961, a B-52 bomber plane carrying two 20 megaton atomic bombs suffered a fuel leak in its wing. Due to the fuel leak, the plane exploded midair and both of the 20 megaton atomic bombs were released and dropped to the ground. I should also point out that this was over the state of North Carolina. This was like a mission or a practice run that was happening over domestic soil. Now, the atomic bombs did have safety devices in place. The main safety device being a parachute that would deploy to softly lower the atomic bomb to the ground. Now, on one of the bombs, the parachute did deploy. On the other one, not so much. There were four other safety mechanisms on this bomb that would keep it from detonating on impact. Three of those remaining four safety mechanisms failed. Only one safety mechanism remained intact, and had it not been for that one single remaining safety mechanism, North Carolina would have essentially been completely obliterated by this nuclear atomic blast. That's not good. All right, so that technically wasn't like a nuclear close call in regard to like actual nuclear war almost breaking out. That was just, we almost fucked up and took out half of one of our own states. So let's talk about October 25th, 1962, just a year later. And America is now in the midst of the Cold War, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, people are panicked. They are expecting nuclear war any second for any reason. And there was a Air Force base, Volk Airfield in Duluth, Minnesota, and the soldiers and security on that base saw a shadowy figure climbing the fence of the Air Force base and freaked out. In fact, one of the Air Force guards identified the figure as a member of the Soviet Special Forces. They started firing shots, uh, the alarm system malfunctioned, and a what's called a klaxon, so basically a loud warning horn, just started to ring out over the base. <laughs> 
due to this warning horn going off, two fighter squadrons rushed to their planes, which contained 800-pound nuclear rockets each. They were assuming World War III had just begun based on the warning they were hearing. Luckily for us, at the last moment, they realized the shadowy figure was just a bear climbing the fence, not a member of the Soviet Special Forces. And the subsequent nuclear attack was called off. Finally, the last one I will discuss on September 26, 1983. So I would have been eight years old when this happened. Tensions between the U.S. and Soviet Union were really heightened because recently there had been a shooting down of a plane coming from New York by the Soviets. But on this day, on September 26, 1983, a Soviet satellite reported that five U.S. missiles were headed toward the Soviet Union. In response, and in fear, the Soviet Union prepared a retaliatory nuclear response on the U.S. and its NATO allies. So they were going to fire missiles not only on us, but on a bunch of other European NATO countries. The missiles that they would have launched would have resulted in essentially killing half of the population of each of the countries they attacked, including the United States. However, the officer in charge with the Soviet Union, a Stanislav Petrov, he had a weird feeling. He's like, you know what? If the United States was going to just randomly shoot missiles at us, I kind of think they would send more than five missiles. So he disobeyed the Soviet protocol and ignored the warning for a period of time to kind of see how things played out. And as it turned out, the Soviet satellite had misinterpreted the sun's reflection off the clouds as a U.S. missile attack. So what was almost World War III due to a reflection of the sun in the clouds, thank goodness, never happened because this dude was like, maybe we'll just give it a couple minutes to make sure. In the Soviet Union especially, many of the people over there would go on to call Stanislav Petrov quote, the man who saved the world. And I agree. So let's just be clear, we've almost had the entire planet destroyed by a bear and sunlight. But it really is scary to know that we've had so many close calls without even knowing it. So, you know, moving forward, I want you to kind of pay attention to the close calls that you have, whether it's, you know, a nasty shit that you managed to make it to the toilet or in your car. It could be with a date. You went on a date and something happened and then you later found out when a second date didn't happen that that person was crazy or psychotic and you're like, I dodged a bullet on that one. But it's interesting to realize how many close calls we have. I've described many of them to you and I'm sure that's just a small fraction of the ones I remember. Perhaps I am immortal. All right, everyone. Thank you for continuing to tune in to the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Remember, you can go follow me on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter or Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff. You can also visit my website, jeffshafer.com, J-E-F-S-H-A-F-F-E-R.com, and get information about my Etsy store, my original music, and other bullshit. Please try not to have too many close calls, and if your belly starts to grumble, heed the warning. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Jeff. night. Went to the devil and I prayed And I showed him the mess that I've made 
And I cried and I cried and I cried a million times over But the devil just laughed in my face I went to the God of Fire And said, can you turn the heat a little higher? Cause I've been burned and I've been burned a million times over But he just covered me with water So I went to the Lord of the sea He said, won't you come wash over me? Cause the roads and the worlds have been winding a million times over But she receded from me And I cried and I Now I 